Hello, everybody. Welcome. It is UK Cowboys TV season one, episode number 62. Uh, we're absolutely flying through uh, the, the episodes this season. Um, but we are here to continue the positional breakdown series. First time we're moving on to the defense. We've done all the offensive positions. We're now on a defense. Um, we know a certain somebody uh, from Scotland who's looking forward to this, ha having played defensive line. So, as I say, we've got Paul and we've got uh, we've got Jamie with us. I almost forgot your name then, Jamie. Sorry. And, of <laughs> course, <laughs> and of course, uh, as we've advertised, we have the, the living legend, coach, Sky Sports guru, and uh, pretty much the NFL UK flag runner, uh, paving the way for all of us here. We have the one and only, the legend that is Mr. Jeff Reinbold. How are you, sir? Woo! I'm doing great, but man, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if I can live up to all that. <laughs> I'm just, hey, here's the deal. I'm just like you guys. You know, I love the game and I love to talk football. And I'm really, really looking forward to this because you guys have done such a great job of growing this podcast. And, you know, I've gotten to know all three of you guys through our, my time in the UK and the tours and all of that. Yeah. You know, if, if now you may have to translate when Paul starts to ask me questions, you may have to translate. But we'll get it done. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we should have turned the subtitles on for you. Um, <laughs> but uh, just to uh, get like a, a brief um, conversation going with yourself, first of all, first question straight out of the gate. I always, I wait, I, I always wish I could message you this every day. How is Hawaii right now? It is <laughs> right now. It's about eighty-one degrees, and it's sunny, nice. and there's a light trade wind blowing, and this the surf is about three to four and a half feet high, just perfect fun waves. So uh, this afternoon, that's where I'm going to be, man. If you're looking for me, you better have a, you better have a phone that floats because that's where I'll be. <laughs> nice. And uh, obviously, <laughs> I don't think any of us know how to surf. I, I think all, all three of us are, are out of the surf league on that one. So you win again, mate, on that one. <laughs> um, but just uh, give... Um, people, I know people in the UK will completely know who you are, but people outside of the UK, um, just to give them a rundown of you, you pretty much coached, I would say, in every state as well as Canada and Europe. Is that a fair comment? Well, I think I've lived in uh, about 20, <laughs> uh, 20 some of them because of my dad was in my dad was in professional baseball. So we, as a yes. kid, you know, you grew up all over the, from one dugout and coos bay oregon to another dugout in bradenton florida and so for me having coached in you know i think it was nine or ten years in college football and then the last 30 in professional football you get a chance to see a lot of the world and and i've been really blessed that way and and my time in europe i think i is is the most special time because i've watched the game from when i first went there in 95 until now i've watched the game just explode on the continent and, yeah. you know, I, I, somebody asked me one time what my biggest thrill has been in football. And I really think that in spite of all the Super Bowls that we've broadcast and all the bowl yeah. games I've been to and championship games in professional football and championships mm -hmm. won and rings and all that other stuff, nothing compares to going to London for an international series game for the first time. Because yeah. un next to the Super Bowl, that is the best game day environment 
in the National Football League because it's the one time where it doesn't matter who's playing. Could be no. the Jaguars and the, and the, and Baltimore, which we, we had a couple of years ago. Yeah. And you get you get flags from all 32 teams, jerseys. Hell, I mean, it's amazing. And the fans yeah. are so they they're so appreciative of having the opportunity to just see a live NFL football game that it's really a cool deal. Yeah, and you get to see as well the unity, the family. You know, the, I don't think in all the time I've been, you know, you very rarely do see any trouble or, you know, bitter rivalry. It seems to be it's everyone together. It doesn't matter what flag you wave, you're together. NFL UK comes first. Yeah, you know, and, and when you talk about that, like in, in your football, in, in European soccer. football, yeah, yeah. soccer, I'm a Leeds United fan, so I, I'm no yes. I'm no stranger to trouble at, <laughs> trouble at the pitch. <laughs> so, you know, oh, I went no. to the, I went to the Chelsea Leeds game last year, and we're sitting in the end zone in in uh, not Chelsea was uh, ah frick Craven Cottage, um, and we're Fulham. Fulham. We're sitting in the end zone, and it's like they got a they all of a sudden a ring of security guards are around. The, the Leeds fans, and it wasn't because of the Chelsea fans; it's because they were keeping the Leeds fans from getting at the Chelsea fans. So, but that's cool. You don't see any of that when you see an NFL no. game. It, it just, you know, it's as as bitter as some of the rivalries are, and as long as they've gone, you know, you take Cowboys, Redskins, Cowboys, Giants. I mean, those are historic rival games, but yet still, you don't see that kind of nonsense. So, it's really a kind of a cool deal. Yeah, it's, it's in a way because I've been to it as well. It's very, it's got that college feel to it. Yeah, you know, like in a college game. Yeah. Um, but talking obviously of the professional game, we'll have to go there, and it's one of the reasons I'm wearing Jason Witten tonight. Uh, you are, of course, a Raiders fan. Yeah. Um, so the question I'm going to ask you is, what do you feel about the Raiders moving to Vegas? Because you've coached in Vegas, of course. Right. Uh, and what do you think of the new stadium? Well. Vegas is a really, really unique place. In 1995, yeah. we had a professional team there, and uh, it lasted one season. Vegas is a the ultimate winner's town, and if you win, they love you, and if they and if you don't win, they don't care to know you. And so, I think it's going to be really important that the Raiders get off on on the right foot with the fan base. Now, it's changed a little bit because when I was in Vegas in '95 you know, to what Vegas is today. Vegas is much more a family town now than it was back then. It's much more, a, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people from Southern California have sold their homes in Southern California, moved to the desert in Nevada where they can get more home and retired in Vegas. So it's a really interesting community. There's so, there are people from all over the country. Like, for example, there was a bar on the strip that I would go to on Sundays that was, if you didn't know, You'd think you were in Cleveland because it's all Cleveland Browns fans there. I mean, they got the dog, the dog faces on. They're throwing dog bones across the bar. I mean, it would. But every 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 team in the NFL has an own, their own little enclave in Vegas. So I think for the Raiders, it's really important they get started fast, win some games. And that is a beautiful facility. I mean, that is a yes, second to none facility. You know, I thought the Cowboys have a nice facility and they certainly do. But that Raider yeah. thing, it's just it's amazing the arms race in pro sports, because <laughs> if one team gets something, then that, you know, all your rivals need you need you need something better. I mean, I can remember, guys, not very many years ago, 
when you would go down to the Dolphins facility or the Bengals facility or a number of the facilities in, in uh, the NFL, and you just look at them and go, man, this is, this is bushly compared to what good college programs were like. Yeah, yeah. Now it's just completely different, you know, completely yeah. different. The Jerry world is beyond description, really. And, you know, you go yeah. and you walk into their, you walk into their offices and it, Jason Garrett's a friend of mine. So when he was, Jason was there, I was living in Dallas when he first took the job. So I was able to be around him an awful lot, go to mini camps, be in the building, all that. And I'm going to tell you something. It is a palace and their locker room, their practice facilities, all of it are second to none. Yeah. I've, I've been there. I've been, I've been there myself. It's definitely an experience for sure. And that, um, funny that you mentioned about Jerry Jones, that he is a visionary. He, he can Honestly, the stuff he can think of going forward for the, for the Dallas Cowboys, he does it. So, yeah, it's, it's Well, you know crazy. what? You're right. You're, you're really right because, like, we built a stadium in Hamilton, um, I guess it's four years ago now. Is that and, the Tiger, Tiger Cats, yeah? Yeah, yeah. and we're, when they were doing the, when they were doing the uh, before they were doing the blueprints and they were looking for ideas, they went down to – jerry world and and uh went through the stadium with them and the cowboy people were really really good and one of the things that we borrowed was the idea as you know in in the cowboys where they're where they're big hitters they're they're big boosters they're big fans the players have to walk through them inside and then go out into the into the stadium well we put that same we put that same finishing touch on our stadium and for our players it is awesome they come out of the locker room they walk down a hall then they take a right and you walk through it's about a 40 yard walk through where all of the big money guys are having yeah yeah and 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 the little kids are tapping the kid you know dapping the players as they go on the field and it's a great game day experience And, and again you can say what you want about jerry jones but he really is a master marketer. He is a oh, master of marketing. Yeah, yes, that is that that defies Jerry Jones in a nutshell. Um, even from negative press, he somehow turns it around and still manages to turn it into a positive. Which is, you know, I'm glad we I'm glad we're talking about this because this is one of the things that I, I hope we get to because, you know, Jerry has such an interesting background, you know. He's a kid that played at Arkansas, and he was a teammate of Barry Switzer's. And yep. another guy by the name of excuse the my security guard here is keeping people out. Of my, uh, my, uh, okay. Jerry was teammates with another guy at Arkansas named Larry Lacewell, and Lace was on the you know was on the staff uh, when Jerry bought the team, and. Lace was the one who really helped Jerry because Jerry really didn't have a football background. He was an oil guy, right? And a promoter. And so, but Jerry wanted to be a football guy because he played college football at Arkansas at a high level and all that. And Lace really helped Jerry learn the game and helped Steven grow into his position. And, you know, I've been critical of Jerry on, on occasions because of, I think sometimes his ego gets in the way a little bit, but Hey, you're you're the guy that signs the checks. You can, I guess you can do what you want, but (laughs) you look at where that cowboy organization has come, the value of the franchise, you know, they've, they've coined the term America's team. Well, really they're a global, 
market. They're they're a global brand now, much like you know, much like uh, Real Madrid and FC yeah. Barcelona and Liverpool Man and Man U yeah. and Man City. They're global brands, and I think yeah. Jerry Jerry needs to you know be credited with having done that, and Lace needs to be credited with really helping Jerry learn the game because they're starting to make some pretty good football decisions now. Mm. So I think, say, I mean, was it 25 years since we've been to the Super Bowl and any, any other kind of team that had kind of that rut, so to speak, you would probably say, well, to use a better term of, of irrelevant, but say because of his, of his foresight of his business sense, I mean, the Cowboys are still probably one of the first teams. If you asked 100 people to name an NFL team, I bet 90, 95% of people would say the Dallas Cowboys just for the facts, like I say, that he's, he's built this brand away from the field. And he's starting to kind of show a little bit now on the field because the team's kind of building up a little bit more now and and getting a good roster and starting to challenge yeah. a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, when you, when you look at the franchise since he's had it, and he, I mean, he was... He was public enemy number one in Texas for the first couple of yep. years. Because, yeah. you know, when you fire Tom Landry and you yeah. make the hard decisions that yeah. Gil Brandt and everybody that was a cowboy was mm-hmm. a Cowboys got, got kind of shunned, actually. And he brought in Jimmy and they didn't win the first year. And a lot of people took shots at him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they righted the ship and they, you know, and then they had their run. And then he made some bad, I think, he, you know, he got a little bit too much power and yeah. he made some bad decisions. They got behind in the salary cap and it took him a time to kind of write it. And but even during the time when they were bad on the field, they were still the Cowboys and they were still a team that you wanted to watch. And I give him credit for keeping them relevant during some really t- hard periods from a win loss standpoint. I think a lot, a lot of it, uh, you know, when you talk about the the dark times with Jerry, which is after the Super Bowl, I think a lot of that was, um, I think, when you look at it, you try to problem solve the roster, and you know, you can't problem solve a roster. It's deeper than that, you know. And I think maybe perhaps what you've seen when Roman was coming towards the end of his career was him realizing that you can't do that. You know, it's a long-winded lesson to learn, but I think he's definitely getting there. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, because they, you know, when you go back to the to the days when they mismanaged the salary cap so badly mm. and really put themselves in a position where they had a hole that was so deep to dig out, it took years. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, he did he did a couple of things that I thought were really started the process of healing. Number one is he hired Bill Parcells and let Parcells come in and start to remake the football part. And then he watched Parcells work. He watched what Parcells did. The other thing about Jerry, Jerry was very, very close to Al Davis, the owner of the Raiders. That's and I true. Think, I think he kind of wanted to be the next Al Davis. And in some ways, he's been able to do that. But I think he's now gotten with Will McClay and some of yeah. the people, Steven. He's got yep. good people around him now that, that can help him build that team. And I, I'm telling you, you look at their, you look at them offensively, particularly right now, and you say that's got to be one of the best teams in the National Football League. And what we're going to talk about today is I think <laughs> yes. the, the re, kind of, the rebirth of their defense. Mm. Yeah. Well, but mm-hmm. I, 
I mean, that is actually a, a nice little segue, which I'm I'm going to use to to bounce uh, onto the defense of the Cowboys. Um, so what we'll do is we'll look at, first of all, the defensive ends, the pass rushes for the Cowboys. And the uh, way I, I've written it out is we'll look, first of all, at the, the three guys, which I'm I'm calling the, the, the Remainers, if you like. Um, so that is Demarcus Lawrence, uh, Dorrance Armstrong, and Tyrone Crawford. Um, now, D'Lo, uh, uh, which is probably the star player on defense at the moment, um, took a five-year contract at $105 million. Uh, this year on the cap, he's with 22 million. Now, a lot of people are arguing about um, Tank's stats from last year, saying that, you know, uh, he only got five sacks, uh, two fumble recoveries, and even his um, total tackles are, are, are way below par. I'll get your take on this first, Jeff. Um one of the big things that came out during all of this that we were arguing during the show was the double team rate that he was getting, that it became a lot of offensive lines were looking at that side of the line, double teaming him, and henceforth the other side of the line was getting a lot of sacks. Is that something you think is correct? Or do you think that in this particular case, for him to prove he's a premium pass rusher, he should have, even in that instance, be making bigger stats than what he had? Well, I think, I think this is the thing that we have to always remember, right? Mm. And, and it's so, so important because we tend to look at numbers. And that's yes. how we decide whether a player is a good player or a bad player. And analytics has come into football, and there's some really good things about analytics, and there's mm-hmm. some things that I absolutely yeah. can't stand. So when somebody tells me, pick your five best pass rushers in the National Football League, and you go, well, he had the most stacks, he had the second most, he had the third most, he had the fourth <laughs> most, he had the fifth most, yeah. that's the five best. Then, yeah. then you're, not, you're not paying attention. I mean, yeah. You're taking the easy way out. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about Lawrence, I believe, that that guy still has plenty of game in him. Now, let's talk about the thing that you brought up. If you're an offensive football coach, right? Yeah. The first thing you do, right? When you have, I'm, I'm the offensive coordinator. You're the offensive line coach. We're having our yeah. first meeting about the Cowboys this week. Okay. Who's the problem guy and what's the plan to deal with the problem guy? Yeah. So based upon his skill set, when you looked at last year's Cowboys, and this is why Quinn, I think, got some got got the, all the stats. Is yeah, yeah. People looked at Lawrence as the problem area. Okay, that's the one-on-one that we can't win. So now, how can I help the tackle? Well, I can chip with the back. I can I can slide the protection to him. I can do a number of things, and mm-hmm. he saw all of it. Yeah. And in a way, when you are the guy, right? You're going to get all of it. Here, I think, is a fundamental thing that every Cowboy fan has got to be hopeful about. Mike Nolan's background. Yes. Mm. And his history of moving players around. Mm -hmm. One of the things, one of the criticisms that I think was legitimate about the Cowboy defensive structure in, in the last few years is they were exactly what Tampa Bay was in the 80s when they had 
that great Simeon Rice and, and um, Sap and Culpepper and all those guys. Four guys run up the field, right? And they didn't twist a lot. They didn't zone blitz. They didn't move guys around. You never saw both ends on the same side. You never saw the problem areas that they just relied on being up the field, right? And yeah. Rod Marinelli is an outstanding football coach. But, and a good guy. And, and the players love him. And he does understand that single gap system. However, the guys on the other side, they're getting paid too. And so yep. time catches up with you. And if you, if I know every time where their best pass rusher is, then it's really much easier for me. I'll never say it's easy because pro football ain't easy, fellas. But <laughs> if, it, if I know that's where he's going to be every down, then it's much easier for me to help that tackle. But if he starts here and moves here or he's over there now, and then and now all of a sudden, there's two kinds of pressure that a defense can give an offense. One is physical pressure and the other one is mental pressure. And we all know it's in our, it's in our DNA as human beings. The more you think, the slower you react. And yes. so by, I, by doing simple things to move people around, which has been Mike's past, mm -hmm. he will unlock, I think again, the talent that's in DeMarcus Lawrence because DeMarcus Lawrence is a very, very skilled football player. I, I totally agree. Um, in terms of the the younger remainder, if you like, Dorrance Armstrong, I'm going to come to you on this one, Paul, because um, you are our defensive line player and you're always yep. commenting on the defensive line. Uh, yep. Now, the guy is only 23 uh, yep. from Kansas. He's into his third year. Um, now, obviously, at the moment, he's although he's fairly cheap on the cap, the stats, again, have been quite low. But as Jeff has said, Stats don't completely tell a picture. Dorrance yep. Armstrong, in terms of what he can do as a pass rusher, um, definitely situational. But what's his strength? What What is it that the Cowboys will want to get out of him? Well, it's definitely his physical presence, for sure. Like, he can yeah. definitely build rush, for sure, like on the edge. Yeah. I mean, it's, time has proven that when you see him when he was playing back at college for Kansas, like back in his 2016 season, like, what, 20 sacks or something like that? No, sorry, no, uh, sorry. Ten sacks and twenty-eight tackles for losses, or something like that. So it's like, it's a really, really good stats, like for for college level, with it, like only playing twelve games that season. So, mm -hmm. but oh, man, it's I kind of hope he does kind of get rotated a bit more um, this this year because yeah, he is quite promising. But like, but like you said, um, this is going to now his third season. You said. This would be, yes, this would be his third year. Yeah, so, and with the whole thing with the other defensive linemen that we've kind of brought in, mm -hmm. like, uh, which we'll talk about later, that, like, is there going to be room for him to kind of get that enough rotation reps type of thing as well? But the but it needs to say, he is a good player, but yeah. we, just don't have, we just haven't seen enough of him. I totally agree. And the good thing is, is, I think this will be the year where he will get to shine, where we get to see so. what it is he can do. Yeah, definitely. Um, so. In terms, though, on the other side uh, uh, of the age gap, if you like, another guy from Boise State, uh, Boise State, sorry, Tyrone Crawford, went uh, out last year pretty much on IR from week six with a hip injury. I don't know what you think, Jamie. Do you reckon that 
this could be given how much he costs against the cap because he's worth nine million against the cap. Given the fact it's a hip injury with the position that he plays, do you think this could be a make or break situation now for Tyrone? Um, I, to be fair, I think pretty much anybody at that stage of the career, you look at that, don't you? And you know what I mean? He's, he's not, like I say, he's not a Tristan Hill kind of age, is he, anymore? And he says he's coming yeah. from injuries. Um, but he's still got a lot of a lot to offer. If you look at his stats throughout his career, he's, it can be very destru- destructive. You can move him around. And, I mean, he's that veteran presence for people, like you say, mentioned Tristan Hill. Do you know what I mean? Who's not had a really good first year. Do you know I mean? You want someone like that to kind of take him in the locker room and say, look, do you know what I mean? Kind of try to help refine his game. So he brings just more than an on-field presence. And so I, I think in terms of that, yeah. But then you could also probably flip it and say, yeah. Do you know I mean, he's got that presence and you need someone like that in your locker room. You don't want to be going with just a lot of... A lot of guys here that's not got a lot of experience. You need some experience around there to, to bring these people on and help everybody raise their game. Yeah, that's... Just, just something to add on top of that as well. And Jeff just mentioned this regards to uh, Mike Nolan there. It's like he likes to change things up, move players in different positions. This could be, like, as much as I love Tyron Crawford and, and like Jamie just kind of pointed out there, but this could be the blessing in disguise for him. Yeah, I agree. Mm. So, because when you think about it, like, how many times have we seen Crawford being p- played on the right edge, uh, left edge, uh, left edge, right edge, free tech, nose tackle, like, he's, he's played yeah, pretty much every, over the nose, one tech, free tech, like, you name it, he's, he's done it all within that defensive line because he's that versatile, but for, but because he's that versatile, he's no, like, I think with under Nolan, that could actually be a good benefit for him. You know what, Jamie hit on something, guys, that I think is really important. This game, and when you talk about building a team, right, as Coach Vermeule used to tell us, you build a team in the offseason, you coach a team during the season. Yeah. And so in the building process, which, you know, the the final selection selection process will be training camp, but in the building of this team, what you want to make sure that you have is, is the right mix of people. Because it's not collecting football cards. That's I, I really, yeah. really say that all the time, and I really <laughs> think it's important that people understand that. You have to know the personalities, the work ethic, the, the intricacies of the player. Now, another area where I think the Cowboys have improved, and I think this will get proven out over time, is they hired Jimmy Tom Sula as their defensive line coach. Former Scottish, former Scottish Claymore coach. Exactly. And when you look at what he has been able to get out of people, right? Yes. Then you say, and, and, and we're going to talk about one of his ex-subjects as we go through this, and who's a, who could be an X-factor in this whole discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy will get the best out of what he has. Now, when when Paul said, talking about your young kid from Kansas, he said he started with his bull rush. I've been with Jimmy. I've coached with Jimmy. I know how he builds pass rushers. And he builds them from the start. The first thing is you have to make that offensive lineman fear that, he, that you will run right over the top of him to get to the quarterback. Because if you never make him sit down, if you never make him defend himself, 
they're too good of athletes now. They just they just you know dance with you for three and a half seconds and the ball's gone. Yeah. So what I think you'll see is the upfield pressure that the Cowboys have been known for. But now you're going to see more refined rushes, more twist games, more things that that will cause problems for the opposition and maximize the talents that he's got. Because I think this is a talented room. I don't know the personalities because I don't coach there. But I think it's a very, very talented room. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, leading on from that, then, is the, there's other two guys who have remained, but we haven't really seen much of, was uh, two players from uh, last year's draft. So this is going to be their second year. Was Joe Jackson from Miami, Florida, uh, and Jalen Jelks from Oregon. Uh, now, Jalen Jelks, last year, I was actually screaming out, saying, I want this guy to make the roster, because this guy, uh, honestly, I loved everything that I saw uh, watched him a few times playing. Now, out of the two guys, and I'll ask all three of you, if either Joe Jackson, who has played in a couple of games, Jalen Jelks spent it pretty much on IR. I'll do that. Um, <laughs> for, for for roster purposes, he was IR'd. Um, out of the two guys, uh, I'll start with you, Jeff. Which one do you think is most likely of the, those two guys to make the 50, whatever it's going to be, 55 or 53? Which two is, if you like, then most likely to make that cut? Well, I think both of them are in, in deep. I think both of them are in yeah. a situation where, you know, and again, there's so much that factors into that. And this is, why I, love, yeah. this is why I love doing these kind of things, because in, in television, you don't have the time to really talk about, you know, it's too. It goes too fast. You got thirty seconds. <laughs> but let's 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 discuss the the points, All right? You just went out and you got Poe and you got uh, McCoy. McCoy. Okay. They're going to make your team because you paid them that way. Yeah. Yeah. Now your two young kids were basically guaranteed roster spots because they were drafted, and you always want to give a kid a chance to show you. So they kept them around last year. You mentioned how. Jelks was on injured reserve. They stashed him on injured reserve to keep they him around, did. let him learn. Guys, it is an incredibly high learning curve going mm. from college football to pro football. And again, I heard it's, I've heard it said uh, by an NFL coach that I know he, he said one time to his position group, he said, man, let me just tell you, college football is a game played by boys on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. NFL football is a war between men on Sunday <laughs> afternoon. And, and you That's can't true. appreciate that until you get down on the field and you recognize how talented everybody is. Because 98% of the college players you played against, they're going to be watching you on Sunday. Because only 2% make it in the NFL. So yeah. it's, it's really, really tough to come in and be productive right away it takes time and so the cowboys have invested in these two young kids but you look behind and now they got noel gallimore out of in the draft and i'm gonna tell you something do not sleep <laughs> on this kid I, 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 he's a canadian kid from ottawa he's a fantastic kid he is a he, you will not outwork him Right. Jeff, I've been raving about him for months. Yeah, months. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> honestly, if, there, if there's one guy I know who's going to be really successful, I know it's maybe too early to say, but I'm going to say it in the years to come. Neville Gallimore is going to be the starting no, starting free tackle nose tackle for the Cowboys. I'm telling you, well, 
I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I'm as big a fan as you are of him, right? And, and if he doesn't get hurt, and, you know, there's a lot of things that can go on. Go on mm-hmm. But when you look at that group of players, so if you say you're going to carry five inside guys, right, which is probably a little too many, but if yeah. you're going to carry five, you're going to keep Poe, you're going to keep McCoy, right? You're going to keep Gallimore because he's drafted high and you paid him. Okay. So probably somebody's going to have to come out of there. Right. And yep. now they may be able to, you know, work mm. the practice roster and all that. Other stuff. But I'm going to tell you something. That's a great position to be in. Right. And yep, true. those young kids will come to camp, a second camp, even though it's going to be abbreviated and all that, they're going to come to the second camp so much better prepared to be NFL players than they were the, the fellas <laughs> for most guys. It's, it's like draft night comes and you're drafted and then you get signed and it's like, well, I've made it. Well, you haven't made shit, but you're, <laughs> in, your, in, your, in your mind, you think you've made it. And the tendency can be that you're arrived, right? And then you get to camp, and all of a sudden, it's a shock. I mean, it's a shock what you see. And so it takes uh, it takes guys sometimes year, maybe two years. If they haven't done it by their third year, then it's time to move on. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's funny you mention that. It's a good, good, good example of that would have been like Tackle Charlton, for example. Yeah, that's an example. Yeah, exactly. Yep. exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I I remember getting a call from Cole Beasley his rookie camp and he's tearing it up in camp. I mean, tearing it up and he walks out. Yeah. And, and I said, Cole, this is all, this is what you said. You've always wanted. You're from little Elm, Texas. You, this is like, this is a storybook and you're, you're going to make that football team and the pressure and the, you know, he made a statement in the press and the, and the veterans didn't like it. So he was getting, you know, hazed. I mean, and he just said, I don't need this shit. Now this yeah. is a, this is a coach's kid who'd loved the Cowboys since he was could stand up, right? And still it was too big for him. He had to be, you know, they had to talk him back into camp and thank God yeah. he went back because yeah. he's had a great NFL career. But that illustrates just how tough it is. <laughs> it's so true. And it's more mental toughness, um, as as well as physical toughness. But here's a guy who, being a Vegas fan, uh, you're gonna know pretty in-depth more than us about is a guy we picked up in free agency that's on the pass rush side was Alden Smith from Missouri. Um, now, in his heyday, this guy was an absolute beast. Two-time pro bowler. No, sorry, one-time pro bowler, one-time all-pro. And in 2012, sack leader with 19 and a half sacks. I mean, this guy was a beast. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think the Cowboys have had a 19 and a half sack guy for quite some time. Um, he did spend one year with the Raiders, which is where he comes in with you. Um, but if we get your take on Alden Smith, um, although I will give you one bit of news we had about Alden Smith that came out a couple of weeks ago was while he was in the training room, he broke one of the weight <laughs> machines that was hanging off. He ripped it off the wall. Um, so that should tell you all you need to know about his physicality. But Alden Smith, Jeff, what do you think of that pickup? All right, I'll give you my Alden Smith story. Go on then. Oh, Fellas. this should be good. <laughs> yeah. We love you know, it. We this, love it. At that. this point, this was like when Alden was second or third year in the league. I can't even remember. But he was a young player in the league and it just blossomed. And 
I went, I was in the Bay Area, so I called Jimmy Tom Sula and I said, Jimmy, I'd like to come over. They had just built that new facility. And so I went down to see him. And, you know, I've been coaching pro football at that point about 25, 22 or 25 years. So I've seen enough big guys that I don't get impressed very easily, right? And you walked in, I walked into the facility and you got to wait downstairs in the lobby before Jimmy, you know, they don't, because of the security, you can't go into the building. So Jimmy has to come get me. And we're talking, and all of a sudden, I look to my right, and this thing walked out of the train. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I looked at him again, and then I looked at Jimmy, and he goes, oh, let, let me introduce you to Alden Smith. And nice. I went, oh, shit. It, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, that was my reaction after 22 years of pro football. Yeah. <laughs> The guy is what, if you could bring Michelangelo, Michelangelo back and say, yeah. Michelangelo, I want you to make me a defensive lineman. That's yeah. what he would look like. I'm telling you. I mean, the guy has got so much ability. How many, and I don't even go to the 19 and a half. Look at his career before he went off the rails. He was averaging a sack a game. Yeah. A sack yeah. a game, man. And this yeah. is why I think having Jimmy, having all the support that Dallas has for these yeah, kinds yeah. of guys, because they've had a history of them, mm-hmm. that's, this is the kid's one last chance. Definitely. And yep. to be honest with you, the sentimental part of me roots for him big. Because anybody yeah, yeah. That, could, that could come back from the dark place that he's been, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of. Yeah, and I'm I'm a, a true believer. Like a lot of people, you, you, Jeff, you you you'll know exactly where I'm coming from when you see it on um, social media and what have you. That people saying, oh, you know, get him out, get him out of the league. I'm a firm believer of everyone deserves a second chance, no matter what. Um, I know you could say this is possibly his third chance, but I'm a firm believer. And let's see what. And the the, the crazy part is as well. Is they got him on a one-year deal for two million on the cap? Yeah, I mean, it's, it to me it was it was brilliant strokes by the Cowboys because yeah. you know what you've got, right? Mm-hmm. And what if what, you look at you look at what Belichick has been able to accomplish in New England with much the same philosophy. I could give you a uh, it, it'd be like the police blotter of guys that they brought into New England mm. with with issues with character issues with this issue with that issue with i mean i I did it the other day on 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 inside the huddle it's about 12 guys i found that you know from hernandez all the way through you know to akib to leave i mean on and on and on and on on. Yeah. yeah if you know what you're getting right and you're firm and you set down the rules and you give the athlete the chance then if he doesn't do if he doesn't get it done then you then you cut ties with him, but yeah. you've given the athlete the chance. And mm-hmm. I'm a big proponent, like you, of yeah. beyond second chances. But guys, it's impossible for us to understand. Number one, in a lot of cases, where these guys come from. All right. Yeah. Number two, in a lot of cases, the baggage that they carry. Mm-hmm. Number three, in a lot of cases, the pressure that they're under. There you go. And number yeah. four, the fact that when you add money to all of that and, <laughs> and fame, that's yeah. usually not a very good recipe for good behavior. So mm-hmm. 
I, you know, I, we're too quick to judge in too many cases. Definitely. You know, I, 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 go on, potentially be, sorry, saying it could potentially be probably one, one of the smartest moves this offseason we could make. Like you say, it's, a, it's high, it's, yeah. sorry, it's low risk, high reward. Like you say, as Jeff said, he's an absolute beast. Um, we've got one of the one of the better surroundings for him to come in. There's a new coaching philosophy in place. Like saying we did it a couple of years ago, like you say, we were not really McLean. McLean yeah. And yeah. he was coming in, he balled out, like you say. And if I get sometimes why people say, look, yeah, why, why do we want to touch him? He's, that, he's done this, he's done that. But like you say, everyone deserves a second chance. Yeah. But like I say, that this, is, it, it's, it's immense, isn't it? It, it? it could prove to be someone that brings this defense on a lot, lot, a lot more than it already is. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I'm I'm having a senior moment right now, I guess, but I, I, I'm I'm trying to remember the cowboy guy that the Cowboys brought from the 49ers that was a complete whack job, a defensive lineman. Charles uh, Haley. Yeah. Charles Haley. Yeah. Where's your yeah. guy? Yeah, Where's yeah. Guy? Yeah. Now, Charles Haley, I mean, you didn't know what where he was at sometimes. Yeah, he, he was wild. <laughs> and but I'm gonna tell you something. You wanted him on your sideline, not the other sideline. Yeah, yeah. Sunday yeah. afternoon. Oh, yeah. And, and so, again, he was able, Haley was able to come in after he had kind of worn out his welcome in San Francisco. Mm. And he had a very productive career in Dallas, ended up being a good citizen in Dallas, and yeah. ended up coaching for the Cowboys. So, it can happen, right? It yeah. can happen. And I'm Definitely. hoping it happened for Alden Smith. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you talk about Charles Haley. This is a guy who holds one hand up and has a ring for each finger. Yep. <laughs> Aren't many guys who can do that. Buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely so, it's funny that you mentioned that, like, so a, like when he came to the Cowboys, I think a lot of it is down to environment as well. Yeah. Like, like you know, here, here's there's a couple things about Dallas that are unique, having lived there. Number one, those players are in a huge fishbowl. I mean, football in Texas is a religion. It's not a sport, right? And then the highest religion is pro football. And you are, it's like living in the Vatican when you live in Dallas, (laughs) right? And so, especially when you're a cowboy. And there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. You're always in the light. You're always, whatever you do is going to be, you know, the thing that happens, silly thing that happened at the mall with, with, um, with Des, you know, just... things are going to get blown out of proportion Mm -hmm. and i think after the years that they've been through this that the cowboys now with their player development office and and their coaches and their organization have developed a program that helps the players recognize and and you talk about environment that's exactly what we're talking about an environment where the player can is protected from himself if you want, yes. or, yeah. you know, the, the scrutiny and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as well, not forgetting that he's with Mike McCarthy, who has had to deal with divas and situations of the such like, so he has experience in it as well. So all, all say, plays in favor. Let me say this about pro coaching. One of the keys about coaching in pro football, and I think this is every pro sport now, is your ability to get along with and relate to the players. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be their buddy, but it Mm. means they have to trust you first and foremost. Mm. And they don't really care. Like, 
if you are an ex player, here's this is a case in point, and I've had this discussion a couple of times with guys. If you're an ex NFL player, they will listen to you initially, right? You'll get that 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 honeymoon period. But if mm-hmm. they think, that, but if they find out you can't help them make the team or get to the next contract or get to the Hall of Fame or whatever their situation is, then they'll find somebody else to listen to, right? Mm. So McCarthy and his coaches, and I think this is really important, they've got veteran guys who understand that it's not just they are, it's far beyond X's and O's. It's about your ability to relate to your players, motivate your players, on an individual basis, right? Because they're all they all have separate in motivational buttons to push, right? And yeah. so, veteran coaches usually have figured that out, and that's why they last as veteran coaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and then moving on to a guy, uh, I, I, we keep swapping from one end to the other. So, a guy the Cowboys took in this year's draft, then. Uh, who's on the pass rush defensive end side is Bradley and I from Utah. <laughs> yeah. It seems like somebody's happy with this one. Took him in the fifth round, which Best is, I think value. pick in the draft in the fifth round. I'm hey. telling you, the kid. The I've watched mm. the kid since he was a little kid, right? Okay. And I'm going to tell you that. When you play at the University of Utah, which is located in Salt Lake City, yeah, and by the time you're a senior, they start referring to you as the mayor of Sac Lake City. You're pretty good <laughs> football player. And, and what he does better than anything else is hunt quarterbacks. Now, you can say he's a little undersized. Yes, he is. You there can is say he doesn't play the run particularly well at the point of attack. No, he doesn't. Right? Not yet. Right. He'll learn it. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, his effort and his toughness and his motor mm. right, are without question, yeah. without question, because I thought he'd go in the third round. But to get him in the fifth round is, I mean, they should be putting posters of <laughs> Will McClay up in the post offices across the southwest for for. <laughs> Robbery because <laughs> he got himself one there. Yeah, I find needless to say that's pretty much been our whole draft this year. It's been like how did these some of these players fell in our laps? But, yeah. at, I'm telling you, the two DBs you guys got, right? Yeah. What, what's everybody want now? Long defensive range, right? right? Uh, yeah. And you know the Alabama kid, you can say, well, he's got issues. Well, they all have issues, not all of them, but a lot of them do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But I tell you what, he plays the ball extremely well. He's been he played on both sides of the football. That's He's a right. Tackler. You don't play at Alabama if you're not tough. Now yeah. the, the kid out of Tulsa, he's going to take a little time, but he's got all of the things you look for, right? And if he can make the roster and just give him, you know, some special teams play early, and then work himself towards a rotation, I think that's a great pick because you want DBs with that kind of structure. Yeah, and, and funny one of the things because uh, I, I rewatched more, more game tape on Bradley and I since he got drafted, and something that people keep missing as well is how effective his hand usage is. It's been like so; it's been missed so much. It's well, funny you, you mean, because you tend 
if you if you are again, I, I'm not taking shots at anybody. I'm just saying, yeah, you can be an information gatherer or you can be a evaluator. Right. Mm. An information gatherer is the guy that looks down and says, OK, he had 10 sacks in his senior yeah. year. He's 6'3", 258 pounds. He runs 4'7". He benches 225, 25 times. All, all true. All true. Mm. Right. But what does it tell you about the player? The player. It gives you yeah. more questions than it gives you answers. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so That's true. Uh, an evaluator puts the tape on and makes a comment like you made. <laughs> I like his hand use. Right. Mm. Because now you're telling me about the player. Mm. Right? You're not you're not spitting back numbers. Let me yeah. tell you something, guys. The average regional, the, the re, there's two types of scouts. There's Blesto scouts, which give all their information to every team. And then there's lower level scouts. Who are the information gatherers? They're the they're what we <laughs> we used to call them 30, 30 guys. They're 30 years old and they make thirty thousand dollars a year. <laughs> they travel across the country and they go to every school. I mean, every school. Yeah. And they get information on every kid. And that's about as much football as they can tell you, because okay. that's what they're hired to do. Right. Yeah. It's the guy who's able to evaluate the numbers and evaluate the player and watch the tape. Those are the guys you want to listen to, not the information gatherers. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And then the last two guys, who I'll just give a, a shout out just for uh, being on the roster as well. That have got a long and heavy road is Rondell Carter from James Madison and uh, Ladarius Hamilton from North Texas. Uh, both guys got a heavy road uh, to be able to break into, I think, maybe possibly the practice squad. But in this game, anything can happen. Um, mm -hmm. But if we move on to the inside, guys, um, so defensive tackle, and then we can uh, slowly wrap things up. Yeah, this is where Paul's really going to come into play. I can see him grinning away there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start, as I did before, with the, the remainders. So the guys from last year's roster. Number yeah. one, the human log, Antoine Woods, and the rookie, the second round pick, Tristan Hill. Um, now, we all know what, Antoine Woods is. He did have a bit of a down year last year. Ten games, mind. So a lot of what we're, we're seeing uh, on paper is down to uh, a blown knee. So he, had, he was yeah. injury wise. The other guy then is uh, I, I don't know if you know this, Jeff, but this guy was actually put to blame for the Cowboys season. He was the uh, fall guy, if you like, was Tristan Hill. Um <laughs> So the second round pick, actually the Cowboys' first pick of last year's uh, draft. Um, so I think I'll start with you, right, Paul? Mm -hmm. Tristan Hill, because we know what Antoine Woods is, but yep. Tristan Hill, was he given an unfair rap on what happened with him? Quite possibly, yeah. Um, I mean, what we didn't really get to see really much of him at all, even during preseason, mm. but. We don't know what happened behind the scenes. Like, like there was times where like he was declared unfit. There was declares where he was like there was reports saying he was late to practice or stuff like that. Like, it's that that maybe just down to the character that we were just kind of talking about. So I don't know if that's something to do with that. But there was a reason why we drafted him in the second rounds because of his ability. But we're not actually seeing that yet. So I'm just kind of. I just really want to know how is this going to go forward now. Yeah, 
Yeah. I'm with you there. I mean, the one thing that you do see on tape with Tristan Hill is his get-off. The, oh, the yeah, he's, he's, got, he's got a great first step, great first oh, step yeah. to hit that, hit that gap, definitely. And time, times the snap perfectly. Every yeah. time you look at it, you're like, how did he know? It's like he's got, like, you know, an extra sense in that. that, and, that and that's where uh, the mental part of the football comes from. Of like, course, yeah. It's like, you always need to use that. It's, it's all about, the t- like, reading the reading what the quarterback's doing. It's all about understanding what the play calls could be as the, the snap count, for example. Yeah. Right, but, 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 if, but this is me being a defensive lineman nine times out of ten I'll always keep my eye on the ball just in case if, if it's a fake snap count because I don't want to be drawn offside and that's one mm-hmm. thing that and that's one thing I do remember is Tristan Hill didn't do a lot of was jumping offside during his college career so mm-hmm. well I mean you got to remember he was part of the UCF team that mm-hmm. went on like a two season run of not losing a game he was part of that team, yeah, that's right. <laughs> which is ridiculous. Uh, but Jamie, I- I'll-, I'll come to you on this. Do you think Tristan Hill is going to be a guy that is really on a massive uphill, uh, given the fact that, you know, the players we'll talk about in a minute, given the fact that the players they've added, he's really on the highest uphill to try and make a roster spot? You know, I think you, you kind of took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say uh, the same thing. The two guys that we brought in, this off-season, um, arguably at, at their peak, were probably the two, sort of two of the best interior linemen um, in the league and played at a high level and are still, even though they're, they're kind of age-wise at a, at a downward level, they're still, they're, they're still producing and they're still playing to a, a high level. If, if he can't, learn from these guys, then I don't think, I, I could be saying wrong, but I don't think he's going to get it. But like you say, he's got two, two immense um, mentors this year. And like you say, a second round pick, I don't think we're going to, we're not just going to kick the bucket after mm-hmm. this year. Um, okay. He's definitely in a perfect position. New, I say new scheme, new coaches. You could essentially say new surrounding, like I say, because it's all going to be different this year and it was changing. Um yeah. If it, I say if you can get him on the field, if it's just if it was just injury worries last year, fingers crossed he's, he's turned a corner and yeah, we we can see why the Cowboys were so high on him last year. Yeah, I I I'm I, I hope he does because he seems a, a real good guy. You know, when you watch the tape, the burst, the explosion, the the snap timing, everything is perfect, and he doesn't stop hustling when he gets yeah. into the backfield. That's the thing. I think all of us as Cowboys fans are just waiting to eat some humble pie at the end. I, I hope so. That's <laughs> that's what I'm hoping. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to be proven wrong. So. Definitely. See, that's this is that's uh, one thing. Like I always say, like I'm, I'm kind of although I love the game, I'm kind of I feel a bit a little bit less sometimes. That I don't have to, I don't play it at that high level because, like you say, he came into the league last year with such a a reputation of being such a good interior lineman in in college and. Like I say he's, he's took took a little time to find his feet, and everyone's just hounding him and on him, and kind of like I say, and it's 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 got to be hard. And like I say he's trying to find his level because there's it's not like I know Jeff mentioned earlier, it's not just an easy step is it to go from college. This the level is so different. Yes, you know I mean you've got, to, you've got to give this kid time to to be able to find his feet at, at, at the best level in in the world, and it's. 
it's not going to be easy for him. You know what I mean? People need to cut me a bit of slack. Yeah, I mean, we were saying it even in the season. Um, and, you know, when we had West Coast on, he was saying the exact same thing. That you've, got, I think more than anything, especially with defensive tackle in terms of not so much the game, but more their build. You know, Jeff has said it, that these are guys from college who are playing a boys game and now suddenly they're in a man's game. So they need to put the build on. They need to put the bulk on, you know? Well, well that's funny you just mentioned that the two players they were just talking about, Antoine Woods and Tristan Hill, oh. they're probably they're the smallest defensive tackles we've got in the team as well. True. Yeah, yeah. Like, in, in terms of like, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm six, I'm six mm-hmm. one, right? Antoine mm-hmm. Woods is just, like, just, well, he is six one, but marginally small, but he is a bigger guy. But mm-hmm. when I'm, when I met Tyron Crawford, who can play interior uh, in defensive lineman, <laughs> he's like six four. Yeah, right? yeah, and like it, there's a big size difference, <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, let's not yeah. forget, mind you, that look at what is probably the NFL's best defensive tackle right now, and look at his size. And I'm on about the guy who played oh. for the Rams. Oh, Aaron Donald, yeah, Aaron Donald. You look at that guy; he does not look like a defensive tackle. No, he doesn't. So it, it, it is I, wild. Did I think it didn't help as well getting him in because. I know we, we've all said for years that this team was so desperate for a, a run stuffer up the middle yeah. um, and Tristan Hill was there, but this team was also desperate for defensive backs and there were a lot of talented defensive backs on the board when the Cowboys picked Tristan Hill and everyone thought we were going to go DB and we didn't. We went with, and I'm assuming we, we went best player of, best player available what they fought and I think that's why he probably copped a lot of flack because the, all the fans wanted a DB and we went for like you said to someone get in the trenches and it sadly it didn't work out that first year but that's not to say that this this kid's a bust because there's, no. there's all that outside there yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you can't just can't just throw it away after one year well, I mean, Tristan Hill, I mean, that pick to me just screams Rob Marinelli in the war room, you know, saying take the guy don't listen to anything else. I want you to take Tristan Hill. That was Rob Marinelli definitely calling that card out. Um, but moving on to two guys that we've been speaking about already. So I'm going to come to Jeff on this one. First guy is a veteran of, a, uh, this is his 11th year from Oklahoma. Uh, so a guy we were speaking about as well earlier, Neville Gallimore. Um, Gerald McCoy. Now, the first thing I think that jumps out Ignore all the stats. Ignore everything. Just look at how many games, right? This is his 11th year, Gerald McCoy. How many games he's missed. And he plays defensive tackle. I mean, tell us, right? I mean, because you're a coach and you've been in it all, Jeff. How difficult is it for a guy who's now in 11th year to hardly miss a game at that position? It's incredible. It's incredible. And, you know, here's what's interesting about McCoy. His frustration level in Carolina mm-hmm. centered around the fact that they wanted to rotate him more than he wanted to rotate. He's a guy that even after 11 years and all the hits and all the collisions and all <laughs> of it, he wants to play every down. Mm-hmm. And to me, that speaks volumes about the player. I would much rather have a guy that w- doesn't want to come out of the game than a guy who plays one down and he taps his helmet, you know, expects his backup to come in. I I think that's, I think this kid is, as you guys mentioned, he's at the tail end of it. Definitely. Uh, I think there's some things that 
really make this really an interesting deal to me. Here's a kid that went to school in Norman, just up the road, uh, having an opportunity to go back, quote, home to Dallas and play mm-hmm. for the Cowboys and finish your career as a Cowboy is a, I mean, I can't tell you how much that means to kids who are from that area. Um, to team with Poe inside, I think one of the things when you looked at Dallas's defense last year, as I evaluated them yeah. into the offseason was they had to get bigger inside. You know, definitely. It, it, it was, again, a, it was a product in a lot of ways. You talked about their ability to, to run stuff around defense. They didn't play the run. The whole per, the whole concept behind that defense, single that single gap defense was play the run on the way to the quarterback, which mm. is fine. But there are but you've got to be able to stop the run in the National Football League. You have to be able mm-hmm. to stop the run. And so when you look at your division where Philadelphia can run the ball, they got a good offensive line. Yeah. Saquon Barkley's a weapon in, in New York. Yeah. Peterson's still a weapon in Washington. You better stop the run if you're gonna win the division. And I think that's that's where McCarthy's experience, you know, is really plays into this. And they go out and get two guys, although they're at the down end of it, I think still are significant signees because they give them size and disruptability inside. Yeah, like you say, the, the, the thing as well, I think that's getting missed with John McCoy uh, that instantly popped out to me when they took the uh, free agent sign-in was you look at, at that defense. It's a very young defense. And suddenly you put Gerald McCoy, who's a, a complete vet. I think that is going to be the thing that helps spur that defense on. Because it's not just when they're on the field. It's the preparation. It's, oh, what's this stadium like? You know, all those little things that these young kids don't quite know on defense. And you put a guy like John McCoy. And as well, Dontari Poe. I mean, he's in his ninth year. So, you know, you've got 20 years experience between them, which is going to help the younger defensive players come along. No question. That is a great observation. And, you know, when we talk about Hill, I want to go back to Hill for a second because of course. He's, a second, he's a second round pick. He's going to make that team. And Gallimore yeah. will make that team because he's a first round pick. They, they, that's the way it works. You're going to get a couple years if you pick that high. Now, I think what we will see is, the other thing about McCoy in particular, I don't know, I don't know the, the other, I don't know Poe as well, but McCoy has always had a reputation of being a tremendous worker, a tremendous tactician, mm-hmm. a guy that's, that, you know, there's guys that go to work when they go to work and there's guys that go to work when they go to work. He's a guy that goes <laughs> to work when he goes to work. And, and so I, I, Gallimore's already showed on tape the motor that he has, right? Mm. So I think, again, factor in Jimmy Tom Sula. And if you don't play hard for Jimmy Tom Sula, you don't play for Jimmy Tom Sula. Yeah. So I really think they have done an awesome job in the offseason of putting themselves in a position where the cream will rise to the top in yeah. the D-line room. And they're going to be a formidable defensive line. I really believe that. Yeah, 100%. Um, and then, uh, as we say, we mentioned about Dontari Poe as well. Um, so this guy is on a two-year deal. His numbers are, are a little swift, but for me, it's more what he can do in that the middle. And like you were saying, Jeff, you, you start this guy, Dontari Poe, with Gerald McCoy. You've got a formidable duo in the middle there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're both guys who very rarely want to come off the field well, <laughs> you know I tell, you, I tell you what fellas 
<laughs> you can. T- I'm watching tape on Pope, right? Yeah. And I'm watching end zone tape on Pope. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at him. This is when he was in Kansas City. I'm looking at him. I'm saying, holy shit. His ass is two gaps wide. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> a, I said, play, play two gap. His, his ass is two gaps wide. I mean, he, is, <laughs> he is a large humanoid. And I mean, he is exactly what they missed last year. Right? Yeah, agree. And so, again, nine years in the league, seen it all. Mm. seen every blocking scheme you know it's amazing when I was really young in pro football and I was coaching linebackers and we had a linebacker that was older than me and I'm watching and I'm watching tape and it's like he it's like he knew the play before the play started yeah and so I wasn't I I was humble enough to go you know how do you what did you see what what made you react that way and he said coach they can only run this play out of this formation. They can't do the, all these other things from that formation. Yeah. So I know, based upon where the backs are, what I'm going to see. And I thought to myself, now that's a pro. And see, that's yeah. what you're, that's what you're going to get with Poe yeah. and McCoy inside. I really believe and that. That's something. As they say, iron sharpens iron. So that's something that a veteran can bring along with, like you say, with Tristan Hill uh, and the, the next guy on our list. And... Just so you know, right, I'm going to inbox you a little video because we've done like draft shows and we even did a live draft show during the first round of the draft, uh, which went on for about seven hours. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun, a lot of coffee, a lot of caffeine. Um, but one of the players that popped up in the third round of this year's draft, and I'm going to send you a little video clip later on, uh, Jeff, that you'll see of the reaction of this pick. And you can see Paul shaking his head. So you can imagine <laughs> what this video is. <laughs> so this guy... I thought you were going uh, to see anything. <laughs> I can't wait to send the video. It's brilliant. But this guy, nicknamed the Canadian Bulldozer, which is appropriate since you coach For good reason. For good reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We took Oklahoma... So ties in nicely with Gerald McCoy, who gave a big video for uh, Cowboys draft, Neville Gallimore. Um, now, a guy with a lot of sand in his pants as well. Give us a rundown of your pick, because uh, believe it or not, we, we got stories uh, of Neville Gamble that they wanted to take him in the second round. Um, so it was a bit of a, a weighing scale situation going on in the second round, and it ended up being that they took Trayvon Diggs, and then when he fell in the third round, it was an instant pick for them. They were like, take the guy. What is the appeal with Neville Gallimore? Okay, let's let's. Here's a kid that comes out of Ottawa, Canada, right? Yeah. And yeah. he finds his way to the University of Oklahoma. Now that's a pretty circuitous route. You got to yeah. want to get there. And then you talk to everybody that I know that has had any contact with the kid whatsoever. Because I I did my homework on him for the draft. Yeah. So I called the lead sports writer in the Ottawa paper, and I called one of the coaches uh, that had him in high school. And they all said, an unbelievable kid. Tremendous, mm-hmm. tremendous work habits. Great character. Jeff, he's everything that you would want. So then you watch him on tape at Oklahoma, and you see the motor, and you see the physicality, and you see the desire to get to the football. When you watch big people, right, what, at least when I do, when I watch a big guy, what I care about more than anything else is not the play that that's within two steps that he has to make. 
It's the play where he has to get out and hustle and run and chase and, and show his desire to get to the football. And when you put Gallimore's tape on, and they were a very average defense, I think, when he was at Oklahoma. The one guy that, the one guy that kept flashing on the tape was Gallimore. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I think yep. he's a really good choice. It's, you definitely notice that a lot more when you see like the the, the offensive uh, like the quarterback moving outside the pocket, trying to move it about. You see Gallimore coming out of nowhere, chasing yeah. after him like 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 no one's business. I mean, I mean this forty yard dash and during the the combine yeah. was like four <laughs> four four point seven nine seconds. I mean, yeah. and he's over three hundred pounds. That is ridiculous. The thing about him is, Paul, that he's getting better. Right. I know. Here's the thing you got to understand when you when you look at a Canadian kid or a European kid or a kid that doesn't come from, you know, Texas or Florida or, or, you know, the hotbeds of high school football where he's probably played the same position since he was in seventh grade and they've had spring football and mm-hmm. they've had, you know, when you look at those guys and you evaluate them, you see a guy that may be here, but his ceiling is here. And then when you look at a kid that comes out of Canada where even the Canadian college teams only play eight games a year. So as a high school player, he probably played six or eight games a year. Practices were kind of intermittent. The competition level wasn't very good. Well, when you evaluate that kid and he's there, now you say, ooh, I think his ceiling's here. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the unique thing about, um, you know, that was Jack Crawford. Right. When, oh, and then, yeah, yeah. oh, I just from Brett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Noel Gallimore needs to be evaluated the same way. He's got a high floor, but he's got even a higher ceiling. Yeah. And what was crazy as well for a guy his size, um, which was something I wrote down in my, my scouting reports during our draft show, was uh, his lateral agility and his change of direction. A guy that size shouldn't be able to move that that quickly um, from from side to side. But the player I actually put, and I know I've said this before, that is remarkably close to how he plays, which is ties in nicely with the Cowboys, is Malik Collins. Mm-hmm. He is the, mm-hmm. the new Malik Collins. Um, go on. No, I, was just, I, uh, I, I, I agree with you guys. I, I think that he's... He's going. He has the potential to be a guy that plays in the rotation as a rookie and makes, yeah. makes starts to make a name for himself in the league. It's, I was just going to add the top of what you just said there, Mike. Um, in terms of his lateral movement, like see where see where it comes to. If you're moving from what, just rather go a single gap, you're moving in two gaps. Mm-hmm. That's going to be that's going to be an important factor, depending on what the defensive line stunt's going to be. And mm-hmm. and we've seen what Tom Sula's done over the years, like. He, he likes that versatility in his defensive lineman. So, like, if he can get defensive lineman going into two gaps, depending on what the play is, great. It, it's, it's just going to cause more disruption for the offense to pick up who that offensive line who they're going to pick up. How they're going to? How is that blocking scheme going to work? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you know, because you know, it's like I remember like one play when I was playing for the uh, EK Pirates, I had to move from uh, from defensive end into the, the one tech uh, gap and and the centre was looking more to rock. Like, he's always like, where the hell did I block? And you always ended up betting pancake on the floor every time, pretty much. Uh, so it's it just comes to show like 
those type of stats can actually have an overall effect because these offensive linemen just won't see it coming as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that is, of course, the defensive tackles. Um, unless, because I don't think we've had one off you, Jamie. Have you got a take on Neville Gallimore? I don't think I've ever spoken to you in all this time about him. Uh, I mean, um, I'm sorry, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no. I just, like, like you mentioned the video, I think I just think the video of Paul from Draft Night will just sums it up. And like you said, like, like Jesse, I mean, he played for. I mean, he played for Oklahoma. He played for a, a good college that renowned to have a good defense. Um, and like I say, in his when, when you always hear of, of a player that's got a high floor but a higher ceiling, you know you've 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 got something there. And like, and like I say, if we can just get you can get it out of him and and like saying and like hopefully hit hit the ground running. Like saying and show that he's got some versatility across that line and then. Bed his way in, and then, like I say, start to make a name for himself a couple of years down the line. Say maybe at one position, but yeah. Um, defensive side of the ball for me is always a little bit harder because I I would tend to be more offensive side. Um, hence my frame. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> but yeah, just the just the video. I think yeah, we'll just we'll just sum it up. If, if anybody who's obviously watching this doesn't kind of follow the draft deep enough to kind of those kind of rounds, will just show what kind of potential steal we've got there. Especially yeah. if the Cowboys even considered taking him in the second round. They, they were. It was. There's a lot of stories I keep getting from everybody. You know, a lot of people are saying it from behind the scenes. Um, we're saying they were going to take him in the second. Um, but they said, no, hold off. Um, but just to finish the defensive tackle, and then we'll get into some questions from the mailbag uh, for Jeff. The last two guys, Justin Hamilton, uh, who played for Philadelphia Eagles last year, from Louisiana Lafayette, is also, he's, his stat line is empty, pretty much. And undrafted free agent from the University of Alabama and Birmingham. Uh, is Garrett Marino uh, was a guy they took as well yeah. as an undrafted free agent. Um, he was on my draft board as well, believe it or not, and I was quite surprised he went undrafted. Um, but, I mean, if any of you got a take on any of those guys, uh, we, we'll move on to the mailbag, or are we all good there? Go ahead, Paul. I, Go on. I, I was just going to say I don't really know too much about Garrett Marino, but uh, that's pretty much it. But a, 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 I, I just need to go check out some more footage of him just to get a better idea of him, but yeah, that's I've not really managed to check up on them, unfortunately. Here's here's the thing that I would I would say about and this is this is again kind of the, the holistic look of this thing. Yeah, is that we're in a we're in a situation now with training camp opening very soon, with no OTAs, no yeah. coaching sessions, no mini camps, no no conditioning sessions. Yeah. It's a brave new world in in the NFL. And I don't know if you guys caught this, but the Players Association has yeah. voted to cancel all preseason games and wants no even 11-on-11 work in training camp. Mm-hmm. So for those down-the-line rookies, it's going to be really, really tough. I mean, they may – Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I could give you a list of guys that have you know, been cut once or twice but got preseason tape that was good enough that somebody brought them back for a second chance and they made it the second time. So I really feel for those undrafted kids, those down the line guys, guys that don't have clubs, don't have money in because they're so much easier to cut. And now they're saying about, they want to limit training camp rosters to 80. 
those two last guys you talked about may not even make it to camp. I just think yeah. that's unfair, but that's the world we live in right now. Uh, so, true. Uh, Jeff, can I ask you a question? See with regards to camp then, like, so did, did you say 11 versus 11 is unlikely going to happen? Well, what the Players Association has asked for, right? Now, they don't set the rules. This is all part of what's going to, you know, they got to, this is a new, t- I mean, we got a lot of stuff that's got to get worked yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the commissioner can say camps open July 28th and you got a 21 day conditioning period. But now beyond that, the, the league, the Players Association has a say in all of this stuff. Right. And they have asked to play no preseason games and they have asked to have no 11 on 11 work. And I understand that they're worried about the injury factor because it's really going to be this is going to be there's so much uncertainty when you take all of these guys who normally have been through they've been working they would have been working since march at the facility right yeah luckily for the cowboys and i think this is this is a spinoff benefit they'll they'll get is you've got veteran guys you've brought in veterans who know what it is to be in shape they Mm -hmm. know the level that you have to play at they know all of that stuff for a rookie who's just trying to figure all that out man this is a hard environment you're in now yeah, uh, the reason I kind of asked that is I'm just trying to think of all the different scenarios you could train. You could do seven on seven, like just without the line, like just the like wide receiver versus cornerbacks. But would that even be allowed? But what you're going to do with O line versus D line? Because they need to, they regardless what and if like you know, Paul, would, it's fascinating. It's, it's fascinating you say this because when I was coaching in a, you know, and I went and visited the Cowboys one time, and this is back, this is Jimmy Johnson era. Um, we, we, I saw them do a drill, which I'd never seen anybody else do. And we have incorporated it every place I've ever been. And what they did was they went seven on seven, but they also had, they would put all five offensive linemen and all four defensive linemen up, but only two of the defensive linemen would go in the rep. And so that kept guys from falling on one another and it limited the reps and you, the offensive and defensive linemen could still get their work. The quarterback still got the timing of getting the ball out of his hands, but it really limited the risk of the drill. And yeah. One thing you can tell coaches, coaches are going to find a way because coaches like cockroaches. You can't kill them right? <laughs> and they never go away and they'll find a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially because it's very similar to what I've experienced, like just even like, playing amateur level is we would do like indies like you do your um your positional groups then you would go from head to head with like the opposing like offense then it would go, go from a uh, like cornerbacks versus wide receivers would do seven on sevens then it would go through to that to full team uh, reps that whereas everyone goes so you're actually practicing the whole scenario no but yeah it's it's going to be like you said, very challenging in the times ahead. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating training camp. <laughs> That's <laughs> going to be for sure. Um, but yeah, what we'll do is uh, we'll dive into the mailbag to finish this off, Jeff, because we, we want you to finish that coffee off and get surfing before the waves disappear on you. <laughs> <laughs> um, although looking at the size of that coffee mug, it'd probably take you about 12 hours to drink all that coffee. Let me tell you something. One of the things I learned when I came here is that, uh, you know, I'm out in the wave surfing and I'm, I, there's a great wave comes and like, I'm, I'm, you know, like I miss it and I'm frustrated. 
and the and the guy and the, this guy and foreign guy in the way in the lineup looks at me and goes, "Hey, bro, don't worry. There's always another wave. So you know, there's, there's another one coming." <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's pretty much like football seasons and snaps. There's always yeah. another one. <laughs> yeah. But um, we'll get Paul and Jamie to ask you a question as well. I'll quickly give a shout out to our sponsor, Cowboys Experience. If you're going to a game this year, uh, as long as they're letting fans in, mind you, make sure. <laughs> Don't talk to me about that. Yeah, sorry, mate. I need to bring it up. Make sure you book it through Cowboys Experience. They have tours, tickets, and pre-game uh, events that you can go to. Make sure you use the booking code UK Cowboys to receive a free gift when you make that booking. And send us your pictures when you're there. We really absolutely love posting them up and showing uh, your great days out over there. Um, but yes, that's Cowboys Experience. Make sure you book your tickets through them. Uh, but let's get back to this, Jeff. Uh, and I'm going to ask you a a question from the mailbag, and I think the biggest right. news that's come out in the last 24 hours is the Mahomes contract. And, I mean, yeah, the guy's on a half a billion dollar contract. Uh, <laughs> which is close, crazy. Close a lot of clause in close to, in guarantees, yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the questions that comes out uh, from a guy, Anthony, uh, he's asking a question. After the Mahomes got that nice contract on the back of a Super Bowl victory, does that mean Dak gets more or less based on his record? Well, I'm going to say this. There were 32 guys that should have been, or 31 guys that should have been sending thank you notes to Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> and that's the other starting quarterbacks in the National Football League. Because when their deal comes up, everything's measured off of the best deal in the league, right? That's true. So if you're... I mean, I, if you pick it, you're Lamar Jackson, and you come off your rookie contract. Yeah, yeah. I, hey, I want I want to negotiate that deal and get three percent, right? And so, it's just the it's the economics of sport, and uh, Dak is one of those guys. Now, what I'm interested with Dak is, and I don't know this, so I'm going to try and find it out, is because he signed his tender prior to Mahomes' contract. Is it based on the top five earning contracts at the time you sign or the next year? Because mm. if it is the next year, he just got a nice raise. Mm. Yeah, uh, Funny you mentioned that because I messaged a couple of people in Dallas asking that very question. Like, how does it work? Is he signed to that and does it go up? Well, I'm not really sure how it works. Um, but one thing that has come out uh, from Mike Fisher, uh, who works at 105 The Fan, he said that, uh, apparently, by the deadline, Dak is going to sign to a four-year deal with thirty-five million a year. Well, I hope that's, so. the, that's, that, that's the rumor. Yeah. 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 Let me let me that's say this about. Yeah. I think that Dak, and again, this comes with the territory, because yeah. when you when you are playing quarterback at a place that has had, you know, uh, she she go all the way back, man. I mean. Um, Don Meredith, and then Roger Staubach, and then Troy yeah. Aikman, and then I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty select company. You know, you're talking about Hall of Fame type guys, yeah. and when you're always measured against that, it's sometimes unfair. And I have known that kid since he was a high school player in North Louisiana. Um, he's a fantastic kid. Um, he's a great leader. I think he is one of the top quarterbacks in the National Football League right now. And I think 
if Dallas ever lets him get away, I think it's a huge mistake. I'm I'm with you on that one. I think it'd be the well, especially when you look at the run that they went pre Romo of quarterbacks of never being able to find one to stick around to play at a high enough level. You Don't know, it's we, a crazy we, way to go. The fact that we tried to trade up for uh, what's his face um, went to the Broncos Don't, in the first round. Paxton Lynch, yeah. Paxton Lynch, yeah. And yeah, I mean, going to take hack. Guys, I'm gonna tell you, it, it is not an exact science. For every, for every Steve Hutchinson, True. there's a Tony Romo. I mean, yep. it's yeah. just the way it's just the way it works. I mean, Tony wasn't even drafted. That means 32 mm-hmm. teams passed on him seven times, including the Cowboys. So, yeah, um, you know, it's just not it's not an exact science. And when you get one that has the mm. things that you like. And what's not to like about Dak, in my opinion? He's accurate. He's got a big arm. He's got athleticism. He's a leader. He's got great character. I just Never don't, know how, you can, I don't know how you can let that guy out of the room. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I'm, yeah I think you're speaking for all of us, including yourself there. Uh, all right, then, Paul, if you've got a question for Jeff, take it away. Uh, it's just going to be a random question. During your experience okay. when you're when you're in experience in Glasgow, uh, what would you say? What was giving you the most hostile environment? What what teams you were discussing about? I tell you what, the most hostile environment I ever went through in Glasgow was to walk down Suckyall Street at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <Saturday>. <laughs> right, and yeah, Dude, I, 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 let I, me I, tell I, you something. We would would, one time we went in there to play on Sunday, right? And we're going to play at one o'clock on Sunday. And it's kind of tradition for me to get up early and I go for a walk, get a workout in and all that stuff. Right. So we're staying on the, we're staying on a hotel, a couple streets off Sucky Hall street. And and the gym was up towards the university, right? You know what I'm talking And I walked out at about five 30 in the morning and I thought I was, in like a war scene from some movie there were bodies laying on the street there was blood puke people yeah. people moaning in the corner jeff just to clarify that was a saturday night wasn't it yeah. sunday morning i get to the gym and i you know pay my money and and uh I said to the guys behind the desk, I said, dude, it looks like that somebody dropped a bomb on or there was a, a terrorist attack on you know, Suckyall Street. And he goes, you know, I, I can't do the Scottish. I can't do the Scottish accent. But he goes, oh, mate, that's just Saturday night. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, right, Jamie, I do have a, a question. I do have a, oh, a follow up. Do you have a follow up? Go on, go on. When, when do you expect when do we expect you to come back well i don't really know because i, I tell you what our league is still shut down the borders mm. of canada are still shut I, we can't get our player i can't even get in um mm. you know they don't look at football professional football players as we're non-essential workers right so uh, we're not allowed across the border uh, they're talking about playing a shortened season and then a then a longer playoffs but if they're going to do that, they're going to have to do it real, real fast. And it would involve a bubble city, much like you see with the NBA and, and, yeah. and the NHL and Major League Baseball. Uh, we don't 
we don't know. And if we don't play, hopefully I'll be over in, in England for game one and stay through the stay through the year. Uh, I really don't even know what Sky's situation is right now, because if they don't have fans in the stands, will they have, you know, how much TV are they going to use? I, I think yeah. it's all up in the air, guys. Yeah, it is crazy up in the air. Yeah. It's funny you, you talk about that. It was going to be something I was going to ask you later on. But Jamie, if you've got a question and then we'll wrap the show up, mate. Um, yeah, oh, yeah oh, I, I could go down the route because seeing as Jeff's a, a, fo- a fellow Leeds fan, but I won't go that way just to annoy you too. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what's the, been the biggest surprise? Because, I, I mean, since, since the international series has kind of come on leaps and bounds, what's kind of the, the one thing that surprised you most about how quick this game of the, of the NFL has kind of cottoned on with fans and it's become... A really big sport over here. So what's the kind of the one thing that surprised you most about that? Well, I I, I don't know um, if I, I I would say there are two things, Jamie, that that I think make it uh, that is a really unique. Number one is I think when the NFL talked about the UK, they thought of, they and they talked about the UK market. They thought, okay, London, right? Mm. But I think the reality is now that they realize that whether it's Wales or Scotland or you know, Ireland, yeah. Ireland, it's you know Birmingham, it's Manchester, it's you know Ipswich, it's it's all of the UK is crazy mm-hmm. for football. Yeah. You see the and now what's the spinoff that I didn't anticipate? I didn't anticipate that you'd have the number of unis now playing football, American football mm. that we have, which is like when I first went there in 95, you would have never, you'd say no way that could ever happen. Right. And then the talent level that's beginning to start to trickle out of the UK. And, you know, Effie Abada is obviously a great story, but I've been to the Academy, yeah. which is the, which is a first for the national football league. And I saw the young talent that's at the academy, which is a cross section of not only the UK but some kids from mainland Europe. Is this the and Bristol Academy? academy? Yeah, yeah. No, the London Academy. Where? where oh, uh, the London Warriors. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, the NFL Academy. Yeah. And I, I think to myself now, as that starts to draw people from other parts of the UK, and the tremendous opportunities that those kids are going to get, yeah. we are going to have more. English kids in the game and you have to thank you know guys like you know Marvin Allen who has a Super Bowl ring with the Steelers and then you go up to Menelik Watson and then Jay Ajayi and Jack Crawford and OFA and on and on and on and on now an English kid can realistically grow up and say hey that's what I want to do because there's a pathway that's been built there right I mean You've always had like pseudo UK kids like Thomas Morstead, you know, his parents are from England, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So he can, you can kind of claim it, right? But he's like, um, Tynes, you can kind of claim Tynes because he was born there on a stop of an airplane, I think, if I remember the story correctly. But these are indigenous kids now. These are the guys, Paul, that when you were playing, it was just too big a dream. Right. It was just too big a dream. And once there's a tremendous book you guys should read, it's called Talent Code. And it's about how these kinds of phenomenon happen in countries. And England is ripe to be 
the explosion of the next talent pool in the NFL. If you study this, the, the demographics of the talent code. Yeah. It's fascinating yeah. stuff. Like, it's, it's, funny that, it's, it's funny you mention that because obviously uh, in the amateur leagues, it's, it's under the British American Football Association. And I think at the top of my head, there's over 100 teams all over across the UK or split them different divisions and that. And, and like I said, there's the national squad we've got. There's some kids that are like that play for London. Some kids that play for the Edinburgh. Some kids play for uh, the UK Pirates. Some down in Manchester. And like you said, it's like it's just a, it's it's that next wave of talent that's coming through right now. Yeah, and I uh, want to say I want to say something about the national team. I hope that the national team and the national player pro. I mean, your national, your your. Yeah, the Lions, G- right? Yeah, you GB know, Lions, yeah. The GB Lions. I hope that they will continue to fund and, and push players to play and represent their country because tomorrow on Coffee with the Coach, we're going to have four-time Super Bowl winner Jesse Sapolo on. All right, and Jesse's a, Jesse's a Polynesian Hall of Famer and, you know, 15 years with, for the 49ers. He played for one team his whole career. I mean, five, you know, four Super Bowl rings. Jesse and I went to Samoa together, and he told me, I had, I had helped Jesse start a national team in American Samoa. And he told me, Jeff, you know, I've played in four Super Bowls. I've done all of this stuff. And, but I never got to represent my country. Mm. And think about that. Think yeah. about that. How special it is to represent your country in the game that you love, right? So to me, those national programs need to take, uh, they need to get funded. They need to become yes. important in the country for us. It's a great, great opportunity for a young kid, even if you never play in the National Football League, to represent your country in your sport. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> uh, and I think, guys, uh, unless you've got anything more to add, that's going to wrap this up. I, <laughs> when Jeff asked us how long the show's going to be, I said, oh, I'd take about an hour. <laughs> you could tell we, we were eager to talk to you, Jeff, because we've gone way yeah. over that. Well, I, I know we've been on for a while because the thing on my phone just said your batteries. I got, you got low batteries. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like you're going to the beach. You don't need your phone at the beach. No, I don't. I, as a matter of fact, that's one of the great things about being in Hawaii. You don't need a clock and you don't need your phone very much. Hey, guys, I got to say, yeah, I, I really, really am... Uh, big fans of you guys and proud of what you've done and you know Mike Paul and Jamie you, to see where this thing has grown and how you've done it it's been awesome and uh, I appreciate you man thanks for giving me a chance no 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 thank you for joining us the pleasure has been all on this side of the uh, yeah 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 and I, I I like how he had to just wind it in a little bit that he's in Hawaii you know well I'm just in <laughs> window just smashing away. <laughs> yeah. oh. But we'll leave you get on. Oh, go on, sorry. One quick question. Are you going to be written for Max Holloway for UFC this weekend? Yep, I am. Hey, Jesse's on the other line, guys. I got to run. No yes. worries, man. All right, talk yeah. to you. Nice to you. Thank you again. Hopefully we'll get to see you on Sky Sports. I'm going to speak to you again. But that is, of course... Uh, all of what we can do uh, this week uh, on UK Cowboys TV. Uh, Catch us next week as we look at the linebackers uh, and we'll see who we can get on for that one. Uh, But from myself, from Paul, from Jamie, from Jeff as well, we will catch you all again next week, guys. Ta-ra.